I mean, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 9. We're going to be looking at a significant block of text this morning, uh, what we would call short but sweet, uh, verses 31 through verses 37 will be our text this morning. Ever since man has come onto the scene, God has created man, and ever since the fall, man has struggled with the... they have struggled with pride. Mankind has struggled with the object of power. I mean, think of all the world wars and some of the insignificant reasons why people go to war today. Since Cain and Abel, the book of Genesis, and what we see all through history is that mankind has struggled with this question that the disciples were arguing amongst themselves about, that is, who is greatest? Who is the greatest among us? You know, we elect presidents based on their ability to lead a nation. Monarchs come onto the throne. Dictators have come into nations. You know, whether it's by self-appointment or by some means to where the people have a voice. But they are looking for a leader, someone with some some qualities that, that says that this man is great. Some leaders are better than others. Some leaders have morals and some do not. There was a Latin writer, but the last name, I guess if you would call him, I'd say it was a last name, of Cyrus. And he wrote to the Caesars. He wrote what is called Maxims. Or worthy sayings, almost like short proverbs. And he wrote these during the first century BC. Some of his quotes read that should be considered long, which can be decided but at once. He also says, It is bad advice that cannot be changed. Another one is, Many receive advice, they only, only the wise profit from it. He goes on to write, It is only the ignorant who despise education. But I think out of all of these maxims that he wrote, he wrote one that I think that we could really, really apply today, at least in Mark chapter 9, in these verses, he writes this, In quarreling, the truth is always lost. In quarreling, the truth is always lost. Now one little change of wording there, I would change the word always to sometimes or distorted. Quarreling, I would say, sometimes changes a person's idea of truth. Or it might distort truth. Quarreling pushes truth to the side sometimes. And it often distorts the truth. Sometimes in life we find ourselves in arguments with people. And arguments over sometimes minuscule things. Where I see this most prevalent at is within the church itself. 
within the body of Christ. Sometimes we argue over the minuscule things. But it might be over money. It might be over land or something like that. It could be over a number of many things. Now think with me in the aspect of biblical truth because that's where we want to, we want to focus in on. That's where we want to zero in on is biblical truth. And people have, have quarreled over such things as interpretation. How does one interpret the Bible? Is it literal? Is it all allegory or symbolic? There has been arguments over how you interpret the Scripture. There has been arguments over the triunity of God and over the deity of Jesus Christ. And Paul would say there are some things that we indeed fight for. He says, fight the good fight of faith. And I would believe that the deity of Jesus Christ and solid teachings on who Jesus is and how one comes to know who Jesus is through the Holy Spirit is worth fighting for. But there are two reasons, I think, why people argue over the Scripture and over the Bible. And then we'll get into looking at the greatness aspect. Number one is because there is a power struggle somewhere. There is a power struggle somewhere. Well, a man is a prominent figure in the church. He doesn't like how the pastor is interpreting certain scripture. He goes down the road and he starts some other denominations. And then we end up with 33,000 some denominations worldwide today. They don't like the way the churches ran. So they uproot themselves and go down the road and they start another church where they can run it the way that they want to. Hence, we have some 33,000 denominations today in the world. And also, there is a fight over truth. Now, I believe that we should fight for what is true, biblically speaking. And I mean first order doctrine, who Jesus is, who God is. Those type things are worth defending, but we do so in meekness and gentleness to the world. So we come to a section today in the book of Mark, chapter 9, on our journey. And I like the way Mark has written it so far. We are on a road trip with the Messiah. We're on a road trip with the Son of God. Even the words that, that Mark uses is like we are walking with Christ through Galilee, through Capernaum. And sometimes we enter into a disciple's house, such as we see today with Peter and Andrew. We're on a journey. But there is also a point today where we're going to see that there is a disagreement as to who is the greatest amongst the disciples. Who is the greatest? Who will be, who will be next to Jesus like, like what Peter, James, and John saw on the mount where Jesus was transfigured and he saw, he saw Moses there and Elijah. Will, he, will they be like one of them? Will they be like one of those powerful or greatest in the kingdom of God? Now, so far, what we have seen so far in chapter 9 is this. The transfiguration. Peter, James, and John saw Jesus transfigured before them. There was a scene where the scribes were questioning the disciples as they came down from the hill. We see Jesus casting out the unclean spirit, the dumb spirit as the text tells us. He healed it. He, he cast that unclean spirit out. He reaches down and pulled us from death unto life. We saw in the person that Jesus healed, we saw in that person our position. Our position as we say, Lord, help me with my unbelief as the man said about his, his son. Lord, help me, about, uh, help me with my unbelief. 
And also, we said as the boy was healed, he looked as if he was dead. And Jesus reached down and picked the boy up from death unto life. And what a glorious picture that is of us today. He has picked us up from death and brought us to newness of life. This is the person of Christ. So who is the greatest? What does Jesus say about who is the greatest amongst them? Who does Jesus say is the greatest amongst us today? So these are some things that we're going to think about as we go through this book, or this chapter here in these verses. Before we do, let us pray over the reading of the Word and that the Lord will penetrate our hearts today and change us for the better. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the Word in which we are about to examine. Father, You have given us a mind to think through difficult matters, to even reason amongst the Scriptures. But we ask You that You would couple it with the Holy Spirit. And as we read these Scriptures, God, that You would help us come to an understanding as to what they mean. And not only as what they mean into our lives, but also how we apply these Scriptures into our lives. Father, we can know all there is to know about the Bible, and with there be no application, we really are incomplete. So we ask you, God, that you would help us to live out what we learn. Bless the reading of the Word. Let it do its glorious work. Even if I was to not speak anything but reading of the Scripture, we ask you that those alone would even do its most glorious work in our hearts and lives today. In Jesus' name, pray, Amen. So there's really two things I just want to bring out in the text this morning. Number one, number one is this. Jesus' prophecy of His death and His resurrection. In, in this we see Jesus prophesies about His death and resurrection. And what we're going to see out of this is we are at a crossroads. We are at a crossroads today. If you have come to worship with us this morning, you are not here by mistake. You are not here by mistake. We are at a crossroads. We, make, we need to make decisions as God calls us. So we're going to look at this in reflection of Mark. Starting with verse 30. That's a little small, but I'll read it. And they departed thence and passed through Galilee. And he would not that any man should know it. For he taught his disciples and said unto them, The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men, and they shall kill him. And after that he is killed, he shall rise the third day. And they understood not that saying, and they were afraid to ask him. Now Jesus is passing through Galilee, which is really, in essence, on a trip to Jerusalem, which essentially will end him on the cross some six months beforehand. Really, that's what we've been looking at all, all this journey, is Jesus' trip to the cross. We're taking a journey as it is. And He says this, that any man should know it. So Jesus is keeping His location and His destinations uh, a secret at this point. So He can teach His disciples. So He can teach them. And they had a most heavy job. They had a heavier job coming up than they probably ever realized. 
what Jesus is going to impart to them is a pre-gospel. He lets them in on it. He says to them, and predicts or prophesies about His death and His resurrection. Now these disciples would later to have been said in Acts 17 and verse 6 as having turned the world upside down. This handful of ragtag disciples literally turned the world upside down for Christ. The same apostles would be the ones that would shake the known world with the gospel that Jesus has died and that He has risen again. And this is what Jesus predicts. In verse 31, Jesus says this. He, makes, he says this three times. The resurrection, and the death and resurrection prediction. And we see this found in three places. We see it in Mark 8, 31. We see it in Matthew 16 and verse 21. We see this in Luke chapter 9 and verse 22. So Jesus forecasts that He is about to be betrayed. He is about to be betrayed. Now, was there some telltale signs that, that the death was approaching? Was there talks amongst the people that Jesus was going to be killed and, and risen again? It just seems kind of absurd to even say that. I mean, we don't know when we're going to die. You don't know when you're going to die. I don't. But yet Jesus, in His foreknowledge, predicts and the very thing comes to pass. Which should tell us automatically there is something in Christ, as Mark would say, that is not ordinary. He is not an ordinary man. In Christ is the divine. The Son of God. He has the foreknowledge to know. He predicts His death and His resurrection some six months ahead of time, I might add. What Jesus gives them is a foretaste of the Gospel. And they don't really understand it. They will not really understand it until they see the resurrected Lord standing before them. So Jesus expresses the Gospel that even Paul would lay out, which this morning we must stop to reflect on. We must stop and reflect on. Remember I said we're at a crossroads? The crossroads comes right down to Romans 10, 9 and 10. That says this, That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thy heart that God had raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And although the disciples didn't understand the saying of, of, of it yet, we definitely we know the fullness of what He is saying here as Paul expresses it in Romans 10. So, this morning, the crossroad means for us today that we need to know that we know that we know that we have confessed the Lord Jesus. Hear me out. Hear me out. This world is dying all around us. If you do not know that Christ is your Lord and your Savior today, this is where we stand at the crossroad. If you have not confessed with your mouth that the Lord Jesus has died a physical death, I mean beaten to a bloody pulp, 
hung on the old rugged cross, stained with blood, thorns in His back, splinters in His back from the cross itself, taken down from the cross, bloody, beaten, unrecognizable, laid in a tomb, physically risen from the grave in power, not some zombie Christ, but a resurrected Lord, strong and triumphant over death. The disciples saw this and immediately they recognized what Jesus predicted. They understood. They understood what it meant. If you have not confessed that this Jesus has been risen from the grave, then you now know Christ. But Paul would say later on that without, he says it in Corinthians, without the resurrection, then we are a people most miserable and our faith is in vain. He also uses the word believe. So if we say that we have faith in Christ, it means this. It is not just some vague idea of faith in Jesus Christ that we can just lay out and then God will just bestow on us everything that we want. Faith in Christ means that you not only just believe, but that you act upon it. You are in motion like you believe that it has already happened. So it is with faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You become born again through the power of the Holy Spirit and you understand what the Gospel means. You understand that the Lord Jesus died for you and risen from the grave and that you act upon that at the Lord drawing. So, before we leave today, we need to know that we know that we know that we are in Christ Jesus. For with the man, the heart believeth into righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made into salvation. So during the Second World War, now that we got through the, the crossroads today of the Gospel, during the Second World War, while, while in London, and London was being heavily bombed. And one of the canons of Westminster Abbey watched as his house and everything in it was destroyed and went up in flames as a direct hit. The clothes that he had on his back, the shoes on his feet was all that he had. So he decides to go down to buy him some, some new clothes. He goes down to the local shop to get him some new clothes. Something that he can pack and have an extra pair. In the morning he went to Oxford to visit at the very friend where he was going to buy these supplies from. Now while there at the shop, he got his clothes and his shoes and the shop assistant there was surprised that he came in and was buying the things that he was buying. It was like he was oblivious to what was going on around him. He asks him this, he says, Don't you know that there's a war going on? Of course he did. And really that's the point of the story. Is that we too are engaged in a war. And although it's a different one from this one we see in this World War I illustration, it implies that sometimes we just don't know, or we just are we don't recognize it in our lives. So after we come to the crossroads of knowing the Lord Jesus Christ, and we know that we know, we need to understand that there's a spiritual war going on around us. There is a war for the souls of men going on under our very seats, within our churches, within our land. 
There is a war going on. There is serious business. And it has serious consequences. And unless we realize this, even amongst ourselves, we are in serious, serious danger. We need to realize that there is a war going on. I'm not talking about a war with guns and knives. I'm not talking about that kind of war. We need to understand that there is a war for the men, men's souls. And I use that word generically. Although Jesus told His disciples to be quiet as to what this means. He's going to die and rise from the grave. Today, we are to speak up. Today, we understand what Jesus said. And at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus sends out His disciples to do this very, this very thing. First and foremost is to know that you are indeed saved. To know that you know that you have Christ. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And then go tell this glorious Gospel to the world. Go tell this glorious gospel to your friends. Go tell this glorious gospel to your, to your schoolmates. But it also takes humility. It also, also takes being humble as we do so. Which leads us into our next point. Humility yields greatness. We're at the crossroads. We know what salvation is. We know what the gospel is. And now it leads us to our second point. Humility yields greatness. So this is where I'll spend the last minutes of our time speaking on this aspect of humility and servitude to your fellow man. Verse 33, starting, says this, Then came to Capernaum, while Jesus was at home, He asked the disciples, He asked them, He said, What are you arguing about on the road? What were you arguing about on the road? But it came silent, for on the road they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. So he sat down and he called the twelve and he told them, if anyone wants to, to be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And then he took a little child and had him stand among them. He took him in his arms and he said to them, whoever welcomes a child like this in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. I think one of the biggest struggles that we go through in this life is one of power. Is one of power. And I'm not necessarily meaning prestige in some corporation. I think it is part of the human life to have people look on your life and say, you've done well for yourself. You, you seem to be well off. Man, did they, did good, did they did good for themselves. I think there is a balance of being proud, not boastful in what the Lord has blessed you with, 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 with humility. Meaning the Lord has blessed you with what we might call the finer things of life and yet we use our resources to glorify God. We have used our resources... And, and, be, and been a good steward over what God has given us. There's a big difference between being prideful and boastful and then having a, a sense of pride about what God has given you. Of course, it is all for His glory in the end anyways. Being humbled about your position in life. Because really, quite frankly, we could 
be like the man or the woman down in the prison. I could have wound up like the, like the hobo down in the, uh, in the ditch that's, that's drunk every night. But for the grace of God, I could have been like one of those folks. And I'm not saying, Lord, thank you that I'm not like one of them. I'm, think, I'm saying thank you, God, for the grace. Thank you for the grace. But for the grace of God, we could have been like the one on death row. If it had not been for the grace of God directing our paths and we adhering and obeying Him, we could have been just like that. If anything, that should bring us to a place of humility. So when they got to Capernaum, Jesus had went into the house, probably one of Peter and Andrew's house, and Jesus asked them this. He says, what in the world were you fighting about? What were, you, what were y'all arguing about on the road? I mean, Christ, Jesus already knew. Because we see what He says next. That He was waiting for a confession that He never got them to tell Him directly what they were arguing about. They kind of beat around the bush. You know, they, they were, I think they were embarrassed because they were fighting about who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom. I think also that this shows that the Lord Jesus, He knew what they were talking about. He wanted them to fess up so He could teach. So He can teach them. He can make stronger disciples out of them. And I would say to you, isn't that just like the Lord Jesus Christ? Isn't that just like the Lord to teach us even when we are stubborn? Even when we try to hang on to some of those old old habits in life, the Lord teaches us in spite of ourselves sometimes. Now they had been quiet and they got quiet real quick. And they were disputing over who was going to be the greatest among them. Verse 34, Mark really is continuing to pluck at the idea that the disciples are kind of, they're really dull. (laughs) They don't grasp things very quickly. But before we say that, hey, the disciples are guilty of being dull, let us not forget that sometimes we are just like them. And we can be just like them and are slow to understand sometimes. So when Jesus came up, they refrained what they were talking about and they had tried to hide their discussion and they tried to put it behind them. Maybe uh, that they were ashamed and the Master had discovered that they, they had a jealous rivalry going on. And say so it, it, it was as if they were, uh, they were ashamed of what they were doing and they tried to hide it. But it was more of a heart problem and Jesus recognized it. It wasn't the mere aspect of the query or the questioning as it was the canker or the sin that was in their hearts. Romans 12 and 10 says this, Be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love in honoring, preferring one another. Sometimes even in ministry people get jealous saying I can teach or preach better than them. Why aren't why can I be used? Or say might say I can sing better than they. Why can't I sing? And I would say that Paul addresses this quite well in honoring or preferring one another. This is a mark of humility even in the ministry. Verse 35 Mark states that Jesus he sat down as if to teach them like a rabbi would do or a Jewish teacher. And he called to them and he said this, If any man desire to be first, the same shall be the last of all the servants. 
This really echoes through all of Scripture that God is a God of the underdog so that He would get the glory. He is a God of the underdog. The one who humbles Himself, God will exalt in due time, the Scripture tells us. This echoes through all of Scripture. If the preacher wants to be a leader, if the pastor wants to be a leader, scrub the toilet. If a teacher wants to be a leader, sweep mop the floor. You get the gist of what I'm saying. If you want to be a leader, you must serve. If you are, in essence, the first one here and the last one to leave, I think in business they would say that is a mark of a leader. If you want to be a leader in the kingdom of God, you must first serve the people. James 4 and 6 says, But He giveth more grace. Wherefore He said, God resist the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Why are people proud? Why do people have pride swell up in their lives? I think verse 7, it really expresses it. Submit yourself therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Pride is a product of the fall. It is a product of the devil. It is devil working in your life trying to get you to be proud and, and, and boastful of the things even in the kingdom of God, even amongst themselves. So Jesus takes the young boy and He uses him as an example, just like a master teacher would do. He takes the young boy, he, he plants him in front of him, and puts his arms around him. And He uses him as an expression of humility. Mark, Matthew 19 and verse 14 says this, but Jesus said, Suffer the little children, and forbid them not to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of God. And we must understand, in verse 37, we recognize that there is a humility about a child. There is a sense of humbleness and innocence about a child. And so that's what Jesus is talking about. If you, don't, if, if you don't think that your children ask you tough questions sometimes, then we're not listening. A child asks some of the most innocent questions that can be asked. And if you don't think so, then we aren't listening to what they're asking. And Jesus expresses that. I like what James Brooke writes about this. He says, A child in the Bible is both symbolic of innocence and of helplessness and of vulnerability. So at the very core of this, to be great in the kingdom of God is first to be humbled. Yeah, I've never heard a prayer warrior go around and say, I'm a prayer warrior. I've never heard a preacher go around and say, I'm a great expositor, I'm a great preacher, come hear me. I've never heard one that would be a great preacher or a servant or a prayer warrior go around and be boastful about their position. Maybe this is what Jesus was, was getting at the heart out of. Be humble and God will exalt. 1 Peter 5 and 6 expresses this. Humble yourself therefore unto the mighty hand of God and He will exalt you in due time. Be humble. He will lift you up. I hope in each and every one of us are saying this this morning or at least thought this one time in our lives that you would say to yourself, I want to be great in the kingdom of God. Not that you want to be a great uh, leader, but that you do great things for the kingdom of God. See, there's a difference between position and ministry. 
We don't want to God exalt us to a place of prominence where everyone can see us. But God use me greatly in kingdom work. Use me in whatever aspect you would have me and help me, Father, by your enabling to do great things. Humility. The Lord will lift you up. This verse I also think goes hand in hand. Proverbs 27 and verse 2. You never see a prayer warrior go around saying, I'm a prayer warrior. Or a preacher ever go around saying, I'm a great expositor, I'm a great preacher. Let's look at this verse here. Let another man praise thee and not thine own mouth, a stranger and not thine own lips. If someone is to praise you, let them say it about you, not yourself. Be humble. And when I first started preaching, I would have people come up and say, Good job. After a while, I just started going hide. I went to hide. I would go in the bathroom and hide. I would go and I would sit behind a drum set over in the corner and try to hide. Because, I mean, I found it hard to know how to react. I, I, was, I wanted to, to maintain a, a sense of humbleness. And then I learned to just say, you know, it is the Lord that exalts. It is the Lord. It is for His glory. It's why I do what I do. And why preachers across the land do what they do. It's for the glory of God. William Carey is considered to be the father of modern day missions. He is the father of missions. If you know anything about William Carey, he was a shoe cobbler. He repaired shoes. William Carey did mighty things. I mean, he was a great linguist in translating the Bible in India. He served in India mightily. And it is reported that he has translated as many as 24 Indian languages. I mean, made Bibles out of these, you know, out of this, out of their tongue. And when he first went to India, some people didn't like him. You know, they, they looked on him in disdain. Because you, if you know anything about India, they have a, a caste system. So in the caste, uh, uh, Carrie would have been a, a shoe cobbler, a servant. He wouldn't have been up on the uh, high in the caste. So he was looked down on. Now at a dinner party, he was a guest. And this guest was looking to humiliate Carrie. He wanted to humiliate him. And so he says to him, he says, I suppose, Mr. Carey, you once worked as a shoemaker. You know, shoemaker, low on the caste system. And Carey, he didn't claim to make shoes, but he said this, Know your lordship, not as a shoemaker, only a cobbler. I only mend him. Sense of humility. If you don't hear anything, hear this. Hear this. Humility yields greatness in the kingdom of God. Humility yields greatness in the kingdom of God. If you want to do great things for Christ in the world, and you want God to use you mightily, if you want God to use you mightily, be mightily humbled. If you want God to use you, and use you mightily, be mightily humble. Let us pray. Father, we thank You for Your wonderful Word to us today. And I ask You, God, as we stand at that crossroad this morning, number one, I ask You that we, can, we know that we are saved through the power of the Holy Spirit through Christ Jesus. And as we know that we are saved, we go out in humility and do work. We ask you today that we would, uh, we would look to do kingdom work and to be great.
not to exalt in position, but in the works that You would have us to do. And do mighty works. Empowered by God to do those. Empowered by the Spirit of God to go out into the world. Preach the good news. And to do what You would have us to do for the kingdom of Christ. In Jesus' name, Amen. I wonder if we could stand and sing during the invitation. And let's stand and sing 434. And we think about us standing at that crossroad this morning. Have you decided to follow Jesus today? And if you have, if you have served Christ for all these years, we ask and pray that it would be in humility from this day forward. I have decided to follow Jesus today. Have you? Make that decision today. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go Turning back, my cross I'll carry till I see Jesus. My cross I'll carry till I see Jesus. My cross I'll carry till I see Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Father, we thank you today for your goodness to us and your gospel. We ask God if there's one in here who has not made that decision to follow Christ, to trust in Him and His blessed resurrection. We ask you, God, that you would make it a part upon their lives today. Make yourself known to them through your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We do ask you that if you haven't made that decision and you want to know what it means to be saved, I'm always open to talk. I'm always open to sit down and talk about what it means to be in Christ, what it means to have salvation in Him. So never fear that you will be turned away here at this church. One seeks to know the Lord. That's what we are here for. Equip the saints to help those and lead those to Christ. We can have Danny dismiss us before we go to our brief meeting this morning. Danny, dismiss us, please. Amen. Uh, if.
Uh, you don't want to, if you're not a member and don't want to sit through the meeting, you're welcome to leave. Um, we're not really voting on anything, I don't believe, but uh, I'll put our agenda up for us today. Um, this is our first quarter March meeting, and I'll give you just a couple minutes to get what you're going to do. Now I'm going to try to make this as short as I can. There really isn't any major, major business that we have to attend to. Just some things to be aware of. Um, uh, we have had to us... You know, Alright, there we go. Uh, we've had donated uh, to the church uh, two signs. Before we put them up and you drive by and go wondering where in the world the oaks come from, uh, we've had these signs donated to the church. And before we put them up, we wanted you to know firsthand that these are what the signs are going to look like. They have been bought and paid for. So, and that is what they look like. Um, if you're wondering what this is, uh, this is just the what the Southern Baptists use kind of as their logo. So. Um, this is going to go up uh, probably next week, so we didn't want people to drive by and, and go wondering, well, what in the world have they done without bringing it, you know, and, and showing. But it, this is bought and paid for. It didn't come out of the church fund, so we donated this to the church. So we just wanted you guys to see it before we actually uh, put it up uh, next week. Also on this, you see Vacation Bible School. Uh, the Vacation Bible School date, unless we have any major objections to this, is going to be June the 28th through 30th. And I'll have a sign-up sheet within the next uh, couple of weeks, the next couple of Sundays pertaining to this. So, what I'm asking you to do is to check your schedule uh, and see if that's going to be an okay date with everyone because we want those people who want to work to be able to work. Uh, and the, the curriculum is going to be um, the Space Quest, either the Space Quest or Amazing Wonders. I'll let you know about the Amazing Wonders in the next couple of weeks. Uh, but if not, we'll definitely be using the Space Quest, kind of like the same, th same way we done it last, last year. Two dates, Friday, Saturday, and a Sunday we do the, commi uh, the commencement that evening. Um, I don't see it for the size of this church to do anything over a two-day period. Uh, so be thinking about that. Uh, be looking at your calendar, thinking if you what you would like to do. Maybe you'd like to do the same thing you did last year. Uh, that would be okay with me. But we will be organizing this uh, within the next few weeks to get it set for June the 28th. We could advertise a little bit earlier uh, this year. Going with that is the party trailer, and uh, us some of the some men of the church are going to go and to the Tar River and now they have they have it to where you have to train you have to train on uh, on the party trailer which is going to be the same dates as the VBS so last year we had the limbo um, what we have water balloons um, 
We have those type things. So what we're trying to do this year is combine the two. The party trailer with the, the moonwalk and all the things the kids can play on and incorporate it in with our VVS. So our recreation time will be the party trailer stuff. So it might even eliminate uh, the snacks if you wanted to use it that way. We'll, we'll talk about it as it progresses. But if you wanted to use this for snacks, you could use this for snacks because it's got a, a popcorn thing in it and a hot dog thing uh, with it as well. I, I think cotton candy thing too, I have to look. But the problem comes in that it's going to be hundred, uh, $250. $150 for two days and $100 is returned back to us as a deposit. But as we sat down Tuesday night and kind of discussed this amongst ourselves as the deacons here and 